Super Talk Mississippi Media Production. Come see the Boutique on Central in downtown Laurel for the best deals in women's fine clothing. Let us complete your one-of-a-kind look at the Boutique on Central at 531 Central Avenue in downtown Laurel. This is Gerard Gibbert, and thank you for listening to Middays here on Super Talk Mississippi. Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Everyone and welcome to Midday Super Talk Mississippi. I'm your host Gerard Gibbard, along with a Rhino in the Element Wealth Studios, guiding you through the middle of your day with facts, fodder, and fine music on this Hump Day, the last one of the year 2022, and it is uh, my last show for 2022. Taking off tomorrow. Russ Latino filling in, and then uh, Friday, the best of middays. But we'll be right back here in the seat behind the mic on Monday, the day after New Year's. Like I said, we'll have the televisions, see if I can find the controls (laughs) and crank up the feetball games, because that's during uh, some of the games will be going on at that time, right? That's correct. Yeah, so we'll be doing that. And then the legislature is in town. The boys are back in town, and the gals. They'll be down at the Capitol on Tuesday, kicking things off. Oh, boy. (laughs) Hold on to your hats, your wallets, your seats, (laughs) everything else in your possession. It's a whirlwind coming in. We look forward to that. The market ain't doing too good today, once again. It started out okay. It was light trading, light volume, relatively flat. But the whole uh, the issue that is driving markets today is this China reopening. What did you tell me? How many cases? Like 250 million? 250 million cases in the last month. Incomprehensible, honestly. So that, uh, that's got investors all in a tizzy. What does this mean? Can't figure it out. It, it's surreal to think that we are still reeling from the pandemic stuff. That we're, that's still going on. Of course, they completely mismanaged, they being China. We had our share of mismanagement here. Seems like Rhino every day during 2020, we'd come in here, there'd be something else, and we'd just scratch our heads from Big Gretch up in Michigan, can't buy paint or whatever it was, remember that? My favorite, of course, the Nassau County 
manager, whatever it is. I, don't, I can't remember their form of government. She's out there on the tennis courts with a podium flanked by, I guess, a couple of members of her staff. And she's uh, announcing the various restrictions, which include right there on the tennis courts. No doubles! I still love that one. That may be my favorite. You can play tennis, but just singles. No doubles. <laughs> there, and there's just... A myriad of dumbness, really, throughout that whole ordeal. And here we are, still dealing with it, in this case, largely China. Nobody knows what the heck's going on with them reopening 250 million cases in a month. So that is definitely impacting the markets today. Now, we've been talking somewhat on the program about this omnibus bill, $1.7 $1.7 trillion. It uh, was facilitated into passage by some 18 Republicans in the United States Senate, which included Mississippi Senior Senator Roger Wicker. And we had a lot of folks on the ceasefire text line wanting to know, has the senator issued a statement on it? And I couldn't find one. And I just happened across one. It's dated December 20th, so I, I apologize for not, uh, I guess, discovering this until now, a press release, where the senator does provide his rationale for support of the bill. And it, and it primarily, without reading the entire press release, his rationale is rooted in concern about funding for the Department of Defense. And he says that the continuing resolution passed in September that was, at the time, before passage of the omnibus bill, currently funding the government, he says, cost the Pentagon, I'm reading from the press release, more than $12 billion in purchasing power relative to this year's National Defense Authorization Act, and explains that amount could fund two Arleigh Burke destroyers in the Department of Defense's entire R&D budget for a new generation of long-range weapons. Says that a full year of funding under a CR would cost the military as much as $80 billion in purchasing power. Even a short-term CR would cost the military as much as $207 million per day. So, bottom line, I think you can certainly conclude from that is that the senator was concerned about funding of the Department of Defense through the CR mechanism, which just keeps funding level. I still maintain that we could have done that for, say, a month, wait till the the uh, House convenes, the, the uh, House which will be under Republican control here in a few days, and, and let them observe regular order, which would include a bill to fund the military, rather than this gigantic combine them all into one omnibus bill, which is what we ended up with. So I understand the senator's concerns about the Department of Defense. The problem is, so to get the funding for the Department of Defense supported largely by Republicans, not generally supported by Democrats, Republicans have to give in to the increase in spending on non-defense discretionary spending, what's described as termed as domestic spending. 
And so that's where the the sausage gets made and the deals get cut and next thing you know you got an omnibus bill to fund the discretionary portion of government that's two hundred billion dollars more than the same for the prior year and it just keeps going and going and going and you look up at the end of the year oh we got a 1.2 trillion dollar deficit and we've just added an, another trillion dollars to the debt and it just seems like it goes on in infinitum so in the the senator also of course referenced the 600 million dollars in emergency funding going to the city of Jackson, that's supposed to be administered by a third party, which would be appointed by the EPA. So in a nutshell, just just passing on here, because I know a lot of folks have asked, this is what the senator stated in a press release, official press release, on his website as his rationale for supporting the bill. So there you go. Really, really rooted in and uh, two issues, defense spending, defense funding, and the $600 million for Mississippi's capital city, the city of Jackson. So there you go. By the way, Rhino, the water pressure here, not all that bad today, I noticed. I yeah, I was, uh, I was taking a shower this morning under a drizzle that were... <laughs> the, the water pressure wasn't enough to engage the shower, but with the use of some duct tape and some ingenuity, I managed to get a little bit dripping out of the shower head from the hot water heater. So uh, hmm. I was able to get hot water. And uh, about three quarters of the way through the shower, somebody did something down the line, and I got my face pressure washed for a second. And then it. <laughs> leveled out and had a halfway normal rinsing in the shower. Okay. Well, so, yeah, it seems like it's slowly getting back to normal. Reports indicate that southwest in West Jackson and Byram, which is south of Jackson in Hines County, they are dealing with little to no water pressure. Those areas of the city and the and the county that is served by the Jackson water system. And the mayor said, water crews are still dealing with complications, I'm quoting here, at the OB Curtis water plant. That was on Monday. We spent a good portion of today working to identify leaks in order to restore pressure. However, pressure remains low. So still under a local state of emergency, I've seen some restaurants continue to publish on social media announcements that they are unable to operate, unable to open. And in the last 24 hours, um, can't, can't unfortunately disclose at this point details. There, there, there are no surprise here. There are more businesses that are saying, this is it. We're out of the city of Jackson and looking to find a new home outside of the city limits. The last thing, of course, the city needs, but can you blame these businesses? Can you blame them? I don't know. We're going to be watching this closely. And, of course, the legislators, they'll be down at the Capitol next, uh, next week. We're coming right back on Midday. Stay with us. Check it out. Let's do this. 
The talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Let's get on with it. On Super Talk Mississippi. back middays in the element well studios coming up on the program at 11:05 Dr. Craig Moffitt Sheriff Gore and Chief Deputy Smith of Webster County they're going to talk about distribution of trauma kits to schools classrooms in the county and then Dr. Moffitt will discuss the challenges facing rural hospitals in Mississippi and at 12.05, Richard Cross, host of Sports Talk Mississippi. He'll preview tonight's bowl game featuring the Ole Miss Rebels and the Texas Tech Red Raiders over there in Houston. You've probably seen Ole Miss's helmet for the game. It's pretty cool. Got a little tribute to Coach Mike Leach, the late Coach Mike Leach. Uh, I think a big Mike and block letters on the back of the helmet and the eye formed in the shape of a cowbell. Pretty cool. Appreciate uh, Ole Miss for for that tribute to uh, their rival coach. Pretty pretty cool. Everybody needs to know, Stanley in Lafayette, Louisiana says, that Roger Wicker voted for the queer bill that Biden just signed. Well, I don't know about the queer bill, what you mean by that exactly, Stanley. There's no doubt that a lot of the a lot of the pork is being allocated to gender projects and programs. It's that is rather eye-opening. We shared a number of those on the on the show last week, just reading through some of the pork. But once again, I think the senator's position, and I'm not speaking for him, I'm just reading between the lines in his press release, is that he felt the the uh, the urgent need to get funding in place beyond just a continuing resolution and increase in funding to the Department of Defense to properly defend the nation. But unfortunately, in doing so, again, you have to give in to the left, who has no interest, honestly, in boosting defense spending. So that's what we had. Think about that. We have a Congress that really doesn't agree too much from a partisan perspective on major issues. So when you look when it comes down to these these big discretionary spending bills which fund the the non-mandatory functions of government the, the Republicans are interested in increasing spending for defense. And the Democrats are interested in increasing spending on, quote, programs, which is, which of course are administered through the agency complex, all the various uh, federal agencies are all receiving fairly tidy increases in funding 
which of course includes the IRS. So in addition to the $80 billion allocated to the IRS in the Inflation Reduction Act to fund the hiring of 87,000 IRS agents and technology, et cetera, technology upgrades, they're still getting an increase in their annual budget in this bill. Wasn't it enough that they got $80 billion to hire 87,000 IRS agents? So I understand the concept of working together and compromising. I get that. But here's the problem. We don't limit that with, well, how much money do we have to spend? That question doesn't get asked. We got X dollars to spend. Okay, you guys want more for defense. We want more for domestic spending. But this is the total amount we got to spend. Let's work this out. No, they just throw everything in there and say, okay, here's what we want. Here's what you want. Go forward. Oh, we don't have the money to pay for that? Nah. Fret not. We'll just print it out of thin air. We'll just lap it on the debt tab. Your kids' kids will have to worry about that. You won't have to mess with it. Pop the cork on the champagne. I mean, that literally is where we are. That's how we run things. There's just no regard given, no consideration whatsoever. You know what? We don't have enough money for this. So once again, I think it begs the fundamental core question, which doesn't seem to really get on the table for debate. What is the role of government? Now, I agree that defending the nation is a core function of government. The most core, honestly. Now, whether or not they truly do, the Department of Defense needs this rather significant increase in funding, well, that's debatable. I read through the summary of the bill and how all that money is being allocated in the, uh, the portion of the bill that funds the Department of Defense. I'm not a military expert. I can't tell whether or not that's needed or not. But it sure seems like it's something that ought to be debated. You can't debate it when the bill gets released with all these details two days before you vote on it, and it's 4,155 pages, and just the pages that apply to the Department of Defense are, are monstrous, voluminous. Nobody can read all that. More importantly, who the heck understands all that technical jargon applying to all these weapons systems and so forth? So you're essentially relying on the military, brass, the Pentagon for that. But at the same time, can't we maybe expect something, demand something in return from the military, and that's to end this woke crap? I mean, how many diversity, equity, and inclusion officers do we have in the military? How big is that organization? And at a time when we have a, a recruiting challenge, it's virtually a, a crisis level. Can't get enough folks to sign up and join our military. I just wonder if that's because they don't like what they see. And parents of prospective recruits are persuading them not to join 
unfortunately, these institutions that have just turned into social justice activists. That's what's happening. And all this is being led by, pushed by, the top brass in the military. So couldn't we say, okay, Pentagon, we're going to give you this money for these weapons you say we got to have, but hey, let's get rid of all the DEI stuff. It really has no place in the military. It's not even a problem. It's a solution looking for a problem. It's virtue signaling crap. That doesn't belong in the, in the military. People don't join the military to be sent to some goofy classes where they're told that they're inherently racist and that this country engages in systemic racism and then have to perform these privilege walks and sit through all these courses that uh, inform them about critical race theory and institutional bias and all, all the stuff associated with that. Now, I, don't, I can't imagine someone would want to join the military for that. They join it for honor and discipline and patriotism, desire to protect the country, wear the uniform with pride and honor. And I deeply respect and this isn't coming from the ranks. This is coming from the top brass, who were obviously in bed with the entire Biden-Harris administration that thinks that this is our nation's highest priority, all this woke stuff. So why didn't we speak out about that before we sign off on this bill, bring these, this top brass to the Capitol, and have a talk with them about that. I, what's wrong with that? Even Senator Cotton in Arkansas, who was, of course, an officer in the military, so shocked. And he's spoken out quite a bit about this woke ideology that has infiltrated the military, yet he supports this bill. He voted for it. I'm just shocked at that. Hmm. All right, Jim Croce. Buffett us out of this segment here. We're coming right back with more on Middays. We've got Dr. Craig Moffitt, Sheriff Gore, Chief Deputy Smith from Webster County, joining us at 11.05. Richard Cross going to break down the bowl game tonight. Ole Miss and Texas Tech. I think there's like four bowl games tonight, if I'm not mistaken. Bunch of them. Pretty busy schedule. And we got to talk about Title 42. Supreme Court dealt a bit of a blow to the Biden administration on that. Coming right back on Middays in the Element Well Studios. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Welcome, welcome to our show. On Super Talk Mississippi. Okay, now you have a good one.
Welcome back, everyone. Middays. Be good to yourself, Journey. Bumping us into this segment here on the program. On the ceasefire text line, Mike and Gulfboard says Senator Wicker is just using talking points of other rhinos who bent over. The voters need to show him next time around that capitulation is not why he is there. He has been there long enough to know better than his constituents, and he and believes we don't understand the legislative process. I do understand, but don't believe he remembers what the correct process should be. He is mired in the swamp that President Trump failed to get drained. Have we gotten so deep we will never get out? Ben from Madison, did y'all see where they want to charge people for water based on property value over usage? Everyone with a higher property value will move away. Is that Jackson? Is he talking about? Yeah, that that is uh, a suggestion from the Department of Justice's pick for leadership as Jackson's new interim third-party manager, Mr. Ted Hennepin. So your water bill wouldn't be based on actual usage of water. Is that the plan, the proposal? It would be based on your property value or adjusted somewhat? Maybe your, your rate? Supposedly. Hmm. Well, that sounds. I, I should I should refrain from saying it sounds crazy. How could anything sound crazy anymore? Let's be honest. Well, from what I understand, this is the same guy that wants to spend millions of dollars building a hydraulic model to figure out what the problem is with the Jackson Water. This was the person appointed by the EPA that's in place now. Wants to do that. Uh, from what I've read, it's. Uh, a guy that has been working on it. I don't believe. Actually, I don't know. It's hard to read 14 different sources on the same thing saying 14 different things. Yeah. Hmm. I've also heard that the $600 million approved in the omnibus bill will take a whole lot, lot of time to make its way down to be put into into practice. Uh, by the city, and of course it's to be administered by someone appointed by the EPA. I don't know exactly what that means. What does that mean to the procurement process currently in place in the city? Does uh, that get essentially superseded by this? By an EPA administrator that comes in with their own procurement process? They they draft it. They enable it. Not sure. Just a lot of details missing. I mean, all I know is $600 million is coming, and the EPA will appoint a resource to oversee it. That, if there's more to it than that, not, I'm not aware. Could be. So where does that go? Who knows? $600 million is a bunch of money. And it's... Uh, I think we all should go into that eyes wide open for sure because that you know the old saying I like to use here where there's big government money there's big waste fraud and abuse well this is big government money sending 600 million to a city like Jackson you pointed out something yesterday that that figure is awfully close to the Flint Michigan 
debacle figure, right? Yeah, the settlement they just signed earlier this year. Mm. Well, gosh, we got to watch that again with eyes wide open. We really do. It's uh, my confidence level's not high that we'll see efficient, effective use of that money to truly address and solve the problem. But again, I just say, where well, is it considering coming over a hundred million of it is just for the EPA to just use how they see fit. Oh really? Oh yeah. Of the six hundred million? I actually I think that's on top of the six hundred million. Oh. There's another hundred million? You're you know, you're right. There I did see the reports there are two tranches of money. So the hundred million, just like discretionary to the EPA? For technical use. Technical use. AKA hiring whoever they want to to pad their pockets to be a quote unquote consultant. Oh gosh. Well, Again, I got no confidence that this will produce the expected results. And even if it does, that it won't be used in the most efficient, expedient fashion, that uh, it will be rife with fraud and waste and corruption and abuse. Just happens every time. There's folks out there right now, I guarantee you, licking their chops. At the idea of $600 million flowing from Washington right into the capital city under the guise of fixing, repairing the water system, upgrading it, etc. Herschel wants us to know that there's skull and bones, the pirate symbol there, is part of the eye and the name on the Ole Miss helmet. I think it's on the cowbell, if Correct. I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Carolyn Starkville says, America is under attack within. I think we were warned about that for, from some very smart people, including, was it Marx or Lenin? One of those communists <laughs> actually predicted that's uh, how we would meet our demise. It's from within. Sure seems like it. David says, when I joined, my black drill sergeant told us we were all green in one team. I was Army. I, I agree with your drill sergeant, David, and I think most soldiers would agree with that approach, that concept, those guidelines as well. But our top brass in the military doesn't seem to feel that way. Teaching critical race theory, a, a disproportionate focus on diversity and inclusivity training, gender identity, mandatory COVID-19 vaccines. Fortunately, that's been repealed, and I believe uh, all those who were expelled from the military should be hired and should be paid in full, all the back pay they missed because they refused the vaccination. It's, it was just a dumb policy. Uh, there's also a lot of other examples. You had last spring's military stand-down, and that was an event where members of the service were ordered to spend a day discussing bigotry, discrimination, hateful ideologies, 
And that was an order directly from Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin. By the way, that came just a few weeks after the January 6th attack, when it was finally implemented, was uh, this last spring. And just other uh, efforts to combat far-right extremism and ultra-nationalism. What is that? What's ultra-nationalism? But too above much mega nationalism. I got you. It's a notch above it. So our military should be a lethal fighting force, not a woke social justice warrior that is more focused on this diversity, equity, and inclusion. I'm really kind of sick of all that stuff. And there's, I'm sure, folks out there listening that or uh, take exception to my opposition to that. I, I just I don't see it really solving any problem. I really don't. I see it consuming lots of cycles. But do they take opposition on that based on any logic or is it just feelings again? I think it's I think it's an assumption that anyone who opposes those efforts, investment therein, you're just a racist, right? You're a misogynist, you're a racist. I guess they never heard the old adage about assuming. Correct. I'm, assu- I'm assuming <laughs> they have it. How about I'm speculating? I'm guessing that they have it. But I would, I do believe that's the case. If you speak up in opposition of those efforts, you're just automatically deemed, labeled a woke heretic. Correct. Because it really is the religion of wokeism. It's the genuflected the altar of it, no doubt. Without really trying to understand the person. It's got its own holy books, its own <laughs> practitioners, its own preachers, its own dogma, yeah, that's, its own language. Uh, you're right about that. It's a, it's a cult Bingo. unto itself. <laughs> Brainwashing the masses of America into feelings instead of logic. It's sad. It really is. I've got a shirt, by the way, that says, it's the Bill of Rights, not the Bill of Feelings. (laughs) We're coming right back. Final segment, first hour of Middays. Stay with us. Properly set all controls before recording. All systems go. That keeps Mississippi talking. Middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi. Hey, hey, Mom said the way you move will make you sweat, will make you Back with you in the Element Well Studios. Go to myelementwealth.com or call 601-957-6006 to let Element Wealth help you find your balance between income, growth, and guarantees as the market crosses the Dow, now down over 200. So it continues 
with a downward trend since the program started. It's looking for direction, concerned about China. Just the fact that China can have such an impact on our markets, on our economy, that's a concern as well, honestly. And we have uh, put ourselves in that position. It's a problem. Ray in Gluckstadt says it was Nikita Khrushchev. You're right, Ray, now that I think about it. It was. It was Nikita Khrushchev, who I believe said that in a letter, uh, if I'm not mistaken. Maybe it wasn't a letter. Maybe it was, was a that speech. his fiery speech where he was banging his shoe on the table at the <laughs> U.N.? <laughs> That's right. We will take America without firing a shot. We do not have to invade the U.S. We will destroy you from within. Yeah. Seems like that was 1956. Does sort of seem like his premonition there is coming to pass, does it not? It does. I, hmm. You do wonder, I mean, it's, that may sound a little bit conspiracy theorist in nature, but it sure does seem like it. Seem like we have a lot of people in this country that want to turn it upside down undermine it, refuse to acknowledge the incumbency, what produced the incumbency, the same people, and look no further than our military. That's why I pointed out. And, and by the way, I don't share this out of disrespect for the military. I have deep respect for those who wear the uniform, who serve our nation. I'm directing this at the top brass who don't seem to be as concerned about military preparedness to fend off enemies that would like nothing more than to bulldoze and raise this country and hoist their flag above us. They don't seem to be concerned about that. They are more concerned about diversity and inclusivity training, gender identity, privilege walks, admission that one is inherently racist, and discussing their bigotry, as we talked about. It's just crazy. What Far-right extremism. What about far-left extremism? Is that not a problem? No, Antifa's just an idea, remember? Oh, that's right. That's what they Just doozy. ask Wadlin Natter. <laughs> Remember that when they caught him on the sidewalk there? Oh, it doesn't really exist or something to that effect. Charlie and Brandon says Benny and Thompson is a fraud. Jackson is a fraudulent run city. The EPA is a corrupt operation being run by a corrupt administration. How can anyone not see a problem with $600 million being allocated to Jackson? I agree, Charlie. Uh, again, my... Larger concern is there's just no inclination to push back and say, we can't afford it. That just never enters the conversation in Washington, ever. Whatever you want, okay, I'll give you this, you give me that. I'll give you this, you give me that. Next thing you know, it's $1.7 trillion bill, which lasts through the entire remainder of the fiscal year, which ends September 30th, 2023. 
even though we have a Republican-controlled House about to be seated. Turns out Senator McCarthy was right. He just went about exposing communists in our country the wrong way. Certainly some food for thought there. I would agree. Hey, let's see what else we got going on here. Our top military leaders are doing whatever the Dems tell them in exchange for fat cap jobs when they retire. They no longer serve the country and only serve themselves. That's that's a deep concern. Not quite sure I'm willing to go there across the board, but this Milley, I'll never forget him testifying in front of the Congress and saying that white nationalism was the number one threat to military preparedness. There's more concern for domestic terrorism and the like than there is making sure our armed forces are truly trained, prepared, and equipped with all the assets and resources they need to fend off a serious threat and attack from our most ardent foes. It just doesn't seem to ever come up. We are stepping aside for a break. Coming right back with Dr. Craig Moffat, Sheriff Gore, and Chief Deputy Smith of Webster County. Stay with us. And now, and now. another hour of the talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Begin your transition now. Now on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. Midday, Super Talk Mississippi. We're in the Element Well Studios. Joining us now are Dr. Craig Moffitt in Eupora, Mississippi, also Sheriff David Gore and Chief Deputy J.C. Smith of Webster County. Morning, gentlemen. Morning, sir. Good morning, sir. All right, so who wants to take the lead here to tell us about uh, this effort you guys uh, combined on to distribute uh, trauma kits, I believe, to classrooms in the county. Tell us about that. Well, uh, uh, Chief Deputy Smith, go ahead and... Who wants to take it? Go ahead, sir. Yes, sir. Whenever I was campaigning for the office of sheriff here, uh, I had a plan for the schools in Webster County, and uh, that plan got changed. It didn't come to fruition. And... Um, enter the Webster County SRT team, special response team. And uh, the work that they have done in the schools, uh, Chief, Je- Chief Deputy J.C. Smith uh, uh, runs the SRT team, the work they have done in the schools, the uh, um, tourniquet kits and the classes that, that they give, that's how this come about. And uh, all of the, the plan, like I said, the plans that I had got changed. And uh, I think the plan that we have with the schools now working in uh, conjunction with uh, Superintendent Mr. James Mason and all of the principals and staff at each and every one of the schools, uh, I think it's a lot better plan uh, than what we had. 
Um, and I, I can truly say that most all of this was um, brought to fruition, brought about by Chief Deputy Smith. Most of the things that uh, we do, he's came up with. We have a functioning, fully operational special response team. And, uh, yes, we, it looks sort of like a SWAT team, but we, we're we ready to deal with anything, any kind of disaster, man-made or natural, uh, anything that deals with the schools. And uh, this was a promise I made to the people of Webster County, and uh, I am just tickled to death that we have been able to do what we've been able to do. And that is how the uh, uh, tourniquet kits uh, and the classes that uh, Chief Deputy Smith and uh, Dr. Moffitt and uh, the other deputies give to the schools came about. And uh, I'll let J.C. talk a little bit more about the nuts and bolts of everything because he, he is the one that put this all together. Okay, sure. Uh, hey, how are you doing today? Uh, I'm J.C. Smith of Webster County Sheriff's Office, and uh, I, I got hired over here about three years ago by Sheriff Gore, and when he uh, told me what he wanted to do as far as the schools go, uh, I tried to put that plan into uh, effect as much as I could. There were some changes along the way due to budget constraints, what we could and couldn't do, and so Along the way, I met uh, Dr. Moffitt, and he reached out and wanted to be a part of what we were doing as far as the SRT team goes. And uh, he and I really kind of hatched this thing and came up with it. And uh, I'd also like to say that one of our reserve deputies, Calvin Lim, uh, had a huge part in this as far as helping us get in touch with suppliers. And we had the money raised through the community. Uh, the community had a lot to do with this. And... When we got that money raised, we ordered, we got a head count of teachers and classrooms at each one of the schools in the county. We ordered uh, first aid kit uh, as far as we ordered the, the, the individual parts of the first aid kit, tourniquet, gauze, tape, uh, Israeli bandages, and, uh, and bags to hold them. And when they came in, myself, uh, Deputy Lim, and Dr. Moffitt put those together, myself, Dr. Moffitt and Deputy Liam got together and put together some curriculum on how to use each individual part of the first aid kit. And then we scheduled some classes with uh, Mr. Mason, the superintendent here in Webster County. And we went to each one of the schools and presented them with those first aid kits from the sheriff's office. Dr. Moffitt, myself, and Deputy Liam, who's also a, a registered nurse full time, um, we put on some classes on how to use each individual piece of equipment. Gave them some scenarios where they might be uh, needed. That it doesn't have to be a school shooting. It doesn't have to be um, uh, a natural disaster. It could be any any number of things that uh, would require first aid that can save a life. Stopping the bleeding is the number one way to save a life. Blood loss um, is one of the number one ways we lose people, and it's preventable. And this is a way that we can impact things in our community here. It's not expensive. Nobody is. Uh, getting put out for this and it can absolutely it will save a life there's no ifs ands or buts about it it will save a life hmm. so it's our understanding that these kits have been distributed to every classroom and every school in the county is that correct we have um, that is correct yes okay wow that's all and, and so have you completed all the training of all the teacher staff administrators who whoever you targeted 
Have they all completed the training at this point? At this point, what we've done is we've given a presentation on how to use the equipment. There's never uh, training, as you know, okay. in your craft. is You've never reached – you're never there. So we're, we're always evolving, updating, and we want to go back and uh, recover things because they're not medical professionals by trade. Yeah. So this stuff's perishable. If you don't use it, you lose it. So we'll go back um, once a year, twice a year if we can get it, but the schools are very busy. We don't like to impose on their time. Sure. But if, if we'll go back and we'll recover everything that we covered the first time, but as far as what we can present from a very entry amateur-level first aid kit class, Yes, we have completed the training for all the classes, but it is, like I said, an ongoing thing. You've never arrived when it comes to training. Gotcha. Is this something that's uh, in our state? Is this unique uh, to Webster County? Is this occurring in in other counties? And then also, have you uh, brought this to the attention of state lawmakers? Are they aware of your efforts there in Webster County? Well, if I can talk about that, if that's okay. Go ahead, Doctor, please. Go ahead, Doc. Uh, first of all, thanks for having us on, and uh, I'm really thankful to have a sheriff's department that's, that's involved in, in helping the community. Um, so there are some Stop the Bleed programs. Stop the Bleed is a um, organized nationwide program um, that can be given to lay people um, to help educate on bleeding. And some of that has been done in some schools, but I, I, as far as I understand, what we're doing as far as delivering the actual medical um, equipment, um, having them um, uh, get, teaching them how to use the exact same equipment we're delivering um, in person um, is fairly unique. I can't attest that that has not been done anywhere else, but um, it is fairly unique. We have um, discussed it with some of our local uh, state legislators. They thought it was an amazing idea. Actually, one of our um, uh, uh, state senators actually donated some uh, money uh, to help uh, with this early on uh, and was uh, was very um uh, you know, um, supportive uh, and always is. Uh, both our uh, state congressman, um, Joey Hood, and our state senator, Bart Williams, are both incredibly supportive of the schools and, and very helpful. Um, you know, I, as far as, um, you know, taking it statewide, I think that would be, um, you know, probably maybe the um, um, state department of health through the trauma center or maybe the uh, state hospital association or state school system would probably be more involved in that. And there may be some programs that we are not aware of uh, occurring. Um, but like they were saying, hopefully a traumatic event doesn't occur at school, but bleeding is the absolute number one preventable cause of traumatic death, injury. Uh, bleeding can uh, unfortunately can kill someone in four minutes if it's a major artery. Wow. Uh, we've got a high school where it would take at least 15 minutes for EMS to get there. You know, some of these uh, rural um, elementary schools and, and, and high schools in the counties in Mississippi could take 15, 20, 25 minutes for someone to get there. So. Uh, now, regardless of what the cause is, this is something that you know any form of training can apply a tourniquet um, and absolutely 100% save a life. So we just think that it's, it's something that's very important, and we're very proud to have been able to do that so far in our county. I got you. And and have the schools been receptive to this? How, what do they think about this? Yes, sir. Yeah, they're um, very appreciative, and, and chief. Yeah. The the schools have been very receptive, thanks to uh, the school superintendent, Mr. Mason, here, and the, the principals and staff. Um, like I said earlier, the, the previous superintendent and my plan never got off the ground. And uh, um, now I can't say that because the schools have worked hand-in-hand hand with us. They've been very receptive with this. And uh, not only are we able to have 
this that we do and we also do regular training at the schools with the srt team um not only that but we have done some with the hospital here and uh, local businesses are interested now and uh, the time to have an answer for a school shooting uh, like we see on tv is not uh, later it's now you've got to have a plan we've actually had a school shooting in webster county Wow. So uh, the the time is is now to come up with a plan and a, a something that works and the people to put that into motion and that's Got what uh, that's what the SRT team has done. Appreciate you guys uh, coming on the program and giving us an update on this fascinating story. Uh, you guys, uh, thanks for your service and happy new year to you. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. We appreciate it. Coming right back on midday. Stay with us. The talk that keeps Mississippi talking. We're rolling. Hit it. Go. Play it. Middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi. Middays back with you, Super Talk Mississippi. So, 2023 is election year in the great state of Mississippi. Eight statewide offices on the ballot, among a number of other races. Will there be any serious contention for the various statewide seats? Scuttlebutt seems to think so. Yeah, it does. There's still some speculation that Speaker of the House Philip Gunn may challenge sitting Governor Tate Reeves. I personally don't think so. Bill Waller, of course, who challenged Governor Reeves in the last cycle in the primary, the Republican primary. He was uh, really the, the top contender. Went to a runoff, as you recall. He's also His name is also being tossed about as possible candidate. I don't think so. I really don't. Secretary of State Michael Watson in the mix as well. I had a similar response to the, the Waller scuttlebutt as I did to the uh, now supposed hoax of the FEC filings for the 2024 presidential election with Mike Pence. Right running for president, and that blew up all over social media, and then his <laughs> his people came out and said, no, you might want to go check that website yourselves. We haven't filed anything. And, you know, I saw the same on social media with screenshots that certainly appeared authentic from the Federal Elections Commission website showing a filing for Mike Pence. And... I saw that on social media, and then I immediately started searching the various news sources that I had some degree of confidence in and couldn't find anything. And I'm thinking, wait now. And in fact, I happened to be watching the Business Channel when that crossed my social media feed. And I said, you know, they would have interrupted the live broadcast to tell us about this. 
That would have been breaking news, right? So it, it just looked hokey from the start. But I will say that screenshot, somebody did a good job of doctoring that dude up. So I went to the Federal Election Commission site, looked up Mike Pence. And the last filing is when he ran for the U.S. House in Indiana. You don't file to run for vice president. You're on the ticket with the right. president. So there's no filing there. That's the, that's the last mention of Mike Pence. So at that point, yeah, this is a hoax. Turned out that was right. But people were running with it. Oh, yeah. Misinformation! <laughs> <laughs> Let's continue on our speculation <laughs> on the 2023 statewide election. So Secretary of State Michael Watson... It is said amongst political pundits that he left some confused in July at the Neshoba County Fair when signs reading Michael Watson for Mississippi were seen. And then there was an article just a couple of weeks ago when the Northeast Mississippi Daily Journal reported that the secretary is actively considering a bid for governor. He's been doing some polling. George Flags, the mayor of Vicksburg, also mentioned as a possible candidate, was an ally to the governor, Tate Reeves, in 2019. He served on the governor's campaign finance committee. I do recall that. I, too, was on that committee, as a matter of fact. And then Brandon Presley, Northern District Public Service Commissioner. No secret there. His name's been tossed about quite a bit as a possible contender for the top political office in the state. He's been on the commission, I believe, since 2008. A mayor of Nettleton at one time. Fashions himself as a moderate. He calls himself an FDR Democrat. So, haven't seen lots of speculation through the years, but no, nothing definitive about any of these potential challengers to the governor. Just speculation at this point. Move on to the lieutenant governor spot. Of course, incumbent Delbert Hoseman still has another term available. He has, I think, made it clear he will be seeking re-election. He announced that, in fact, at the Neshoba County Fair in late July. Who, if any, will challenge him? State Senator Chris McDaniel is considered to be the most likely challenger at this point. A lot of noise being made there, for sure. I think there's even a Facebook site entitled Draft Senator Chris McDaniel for Lieutenant Governor. It's had a fair amount of activity the last couple of months or so since it's been out there. So he is considered a uh, possible contender, as is State Senator Derek Simmons, a Democrat from Greenville. So, but the only challenger in a, in a primary at this point listed is State Senator Chris McDaniel. Of course, Derek Simmons, if he elects to throw his hat in the ring as a candidate for lieutenant governor, would face the ultimate Republican candidate in the general election in November. That's about all I know at this point. I think kind of gives you a rundown for governor, 
and lieutenant governor with respect to other state offices, really haven't heard anyone, any noise, any buzz, any chatter about attorney general or secretary of state, state treasurer, insurance commissioner, ag commissioner, leave all those individuals at this point intend to run for re-election, nothing official. And then you've got the commissioners of the three districts in the state, the Transportation Commissioner, the Public Service Commissioner. We do know that Mandy Gunasekra, who has filled in on this program and on the Gallo Show, has already announced her candidacy for Public Service Commissioner in the Northern District. And if Brandon Presley does not seek higher office, one would think he'd run for re-election to that office. He being a Democrat, she's the only, at this point, the only Republican candidate I've heard anything of, and they would meet each other in a general election. And I think, Rhino, thus far, everybody we've interviewed the last couple of months from the legislature, I've asked them, do you intend to run for re-election? I think that's been 100%. I don't think anybody said, no, I don't. What you laughing about? Even a representative that is uh, retired is stated on our, on our air that they are running. Who's that? It was while you were in Tupelo. Oh. Oh, that's right. Uh, representative Steve Holland, That's of course. correct. Yeah. He's running, running for supervisor. supervisor. That is correct. I asked him, as I do every time he's on the program, are you going to go back to Jackson? No, I ain't going back. <laughs> he's pretty adamant about that. Makes that very clear. But yes, he's running for supervisor in uh, Lee County, right? Also, you may have seen yesterday, former Representative Robert Foster from DeSoto County, he teased that he was going to do something politically in 2023. And uh, I believe that was maybe Monday of this week, and then yesterday afternoon, I believe it was, he announced that he is a candidate for supervisor supervisor in DeSoto County. I think there was speculation he may run for the House, might even run once again for governor. No secret, he's been critical of the governor, particularly during the, the COVID era, with all the orders and restrictions and lockdowns. He, he really... Uh, I think let uh, the folks know where he stood on that and that he he called out the governor for those orders. God, that seems like forever ago now, doesn't it? When we were dealing with that, orders, rescinding of orders, new orders, it was hard to keep up with, honestly. It wasn't too long ago, right? In no, the grand scheme of things, no. No sports for a while. You remember that? Closed down all the recreational facilities, and there's limits on that, and seems like there was limits Stay on... off the sandbar! Yeah, that, wasn't there some limits on, like, launching boats in the reservoir? <laughs> I can't remember all the details now. It's so long ago. and We've learned a lot, obviously, since then. There was a, a measure last year, folks remember, that was passed that increases the pay of statewide elected officials effective in 2024. There was an attempt, at least a bill dropped, I believe in the Senate, to increase the pay of legislators. That didn't really go anywhere. But in the great state of New York, they did pass a bill increasing their pay 
That's That goes into effect January 1. I'll tell you what it is when we come back. Stay with us. We're in the Element Well Studios on Middays. Everybody ready? I'm ready. Ready here. Middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. Midday Super Talk Mississippi on this hump day. And it ain't bad out there, honestly. Temperature's rising a bit. I'm ready to see who sent us that. Gary? Was it Gary from uh, Meridian? Yeah, sent uh, an image. Okay, Christmas is over. I'm ready for summer. Shows Snoopy on the beach with sunglasses on and a bright sun in the blue sky above. Palm trees. I'm with you, Gary. I don't like cold weather. When I get rich, I'm moving to where it's warm, dang it. <laughs> Larry Amaya says, do you think the state Senate will confirm the new state superintendent of education? I believe it's highly likely. I do. The, uh, Of course, the Board of Education Make, extends the offer, makes the hire. It is subject to consent, advice and consent of the Senate. But uh, the superintendent does serve at the board's will and pleasure. We shall see. That uh, should be coming up here pretty soon. I have been critical of that hire. Did not think that was in the best interest of the state's public education system, just in reviewing the resume and background of the individual the Board of Education decided on. That'll be something to pay attention to for sure. So, New York, we were talking about the pay of legislators. See, in Mississippi, of course, the pay is about $23,500 a year, and that includes their per diem reimbursements and there's an office expense payment as well. It all uh, accumulates, amounts to, adds up to about $23,500 a year. But most of them make between forty and fifty grand when you consider the per diems and the reimbursements and some of the other payments. Some of them even have a compensation as high as $70,000 in the state of Mississippi. But in New York, <laughs> they voted themselves a raise of $32,000 more per year. That will push their yearly salary from the current $110,000 to $142,000. That's incredible. $110,000 salary was was uh, in place for some 20 years. 
Hmm. Actually, it was 79.5 for for 20 years, and then in 2019 it was increased to 110,000. I stand corrected in reading this cl- uh, closer, but 32,000 in one swoop. That has to be, of course, signed into law by Governor Kathy Hochul. I think she will, more than likely, $142,000 to serve in the state legislature. The median household income in the state of New York sits at $72,920. That is, according to the St. Louis Federal Reserve, in 2019, it was higher at 76000 It's actually fallen. A little surprised at that in the state of New York. But the lawmakers up there are going to get, hard to believe, $142,000 a year for serving in the state legislature. Pardon me. But the real wages in the state of New York falling over the last three years. If that ain't tone deaf, I don't know what is, honestly. David says, when you get rich, that's rich. Well, I am rich with fantastic family and children and health, faith. Totally agree with that, David. It's all relative. Gary Meridian says, now, Gerard, it's probably very difficult to live off a mere 110K a year in the state of New York. Well, the, when you consider the median household income, 72, these folks are getting twice that, it turns out, just slightly under twice. They will be, by the way, the highest paid state legislators in the nation of the 50 states, once this goes in place. Thomas and Greenwood says, what's the most likely speculation that Chris will challenge Delbert? I think that is correct. That's what we just talked about. He says, this election will be the pro-Medicaid expansion candidate versus the anti-Medicaid expansion candidate. I don't think it will, Thomas. Am I wrong in my contention that Tate's stance against Medicaid expansion was what led him to victory in the primaries and in the general He really wasn't different than the other candidates except for that. I do think that his position on that relative to his challenger in the primary, Bill Waller, I do think that was a key distinction. And I think uh, both candidates leveraged their positions on that for their political benefit. But the governor came out on top. I, I think that's consistent with at, certainly at the time, the sentiments of most Mississippians who opposed, at that time, Medicaid expansion. I'm honestly not sure if that's the case today. I'm also, I can also share that in discussions with lawmakers, including the lieutenant governor, you've even heard Dr. Edney from the Department of Health, all have said, you know, Medicaid expansion is not the solve-it-all solution here for the woes experienced presently in our health care industry. They've all said that. I, I think, I don't think the situation was quite as dire 
within the healthcare industry back in 2019, prior to the pandemic. Pandemic has turned the entire industry upside down. There's no doubt about that, as it has a lot of industries, honestly. So I don't, I don't know, Thomas, that that will be front and center. I don't know that that will be the the key differentiating issue the way it was in 2019. It certainly will be an issue that will be debated. Assuming that the governor draws a challenger uh, in the primary, a primary challenger, with respect to the lieutenant governor and a possible challenge from State Senator Chris McDaniel, I'm really not sure that Medicaid expansion leads the headlines there, as far as the, the distinction between the two candidates. I, I just I don't feel like it will. And I, and I do believe that the lieutenant governor is not as zealous about and enthusiastic about enacting Medicaid expansion in the state as he once was. And we should also point out, and we've discussed it before, and there's more being written about it, and uh, certainly making its way into the news more, that the, the so-called emergency, the pandemic, public health emergency, I believe is what they call it, the PHE, that is scheduled to expire in April, talking about at the federal level, and when that happens, it changes the the situation in Medicaid dramatically. No longer will states receive the 6.5% increase of the federal match that they've been receiving since 2020, enacted under President Trump. And also, as part of that measure back in 2020, it uh, instructed state Medicaid organizations to not disenroll anyone, even if they're no longer eligible. So we've been carrying those people. Don't know exactly how many, because I don't think a lot of research has been done over that two-and-a-half-year, will be three-year time period by the time April 23 rolls around, since that was put into place. I don't know that Medicaid agencies at the state level have invested a lot in determining who's truly no longer eligible because they can't do anything about it, even if they do. So it's it's estimated that about 20 million people in this country, of the total 90 million currently on Medicaid, are going to get the boot. I don't know how many in Mississippi, but if you looked at how many were on it before the pandemic-era legislation or, or measure was passed under Donald Trump, that essentially banned Medicaid at the state level from kicking anybody off the rolls. The rolls have swollen during that time period by over 100,000 here in Mississippi. So does that mean 100,000 are likely to be disenrolled come April? I don't know, but it's going to be a stink. It's going to be chaos. There ain't no doubt about that. Coming right back with the final segment before we bring in Richard Cross to talk about the bowl game tonight, Ole Miss and Texas Tech. Stay with us. It's so awesome! Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Come on, let's get on with the show! On Super Talk Mississippi. 
Welcome back, everyone. Midday, Super Talk Mississippi. Just uh, in case you hadn't heard, just to clarify, yeah, Robert Foster, we verified, looking at his social media, has announced that he will be running for supervisor in DeSoto County. District 5. District 5. If I'm not mistaken, folks in DeSoto County, check me on this. I think that is currently held by... Mike Lee, Supervisor Mike Lee, whom I believe is running for sheriff of DeSoto County. Check that out. I know we got some listeners in DeSoto County that are familiar with that. That's my recollection of kind of the way the uh, the the uh, the chess pieces are moving around there. Check that out. Yes, see here. Oh, by the way. David, who said, when you get rich, that's rich. A friend of mine out in Brandon, Sharon, she just texted me and said, I should include on my list of riches many friends. Totally agree with that, Sharon. Appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you. No doubt. I said family, faith, health. Absolutely. Lots of good friends. Good team here. It's super talk, which, by the way, this being my last broadcast of 2022, back in the seat on Monday, again, Russ Latino filling in tomorrow, and then the best of on Friday. This has been my first full year of broadcasting as middays, hosting the show, and I'm certainly grateful for that opportunity. Of course, we'll always be sad about the circumstances that, that led to that with the passing of the great J.T. Williamson, but grateful to you for the fantastic job you do of producing the show whether I'm here or on the road, and uh, many others uh, on the Supertalk team here. They make all this possible behind the scenes that our audience maybe doesn't, isn't quite aware of the way we are. It's a bunch of work to make all this come together. I, I want you to know, folks, that pulling off the interview we had earlier today with uh, Dr. Moffitt, Sheriff David Gore, and Chief Deputy J.C. Smith, in Webster County were at different locations and we had the sheriff and deputy sheriff uh, on the phone we had Dr. Moffitt on video and Rhino worked some technical miracles to pull all that off honestly and I, I saw you in there almost the entire segment or two leading up to it pushing the buttons and turning the dials <laughs> heads down getting ready for that but you pulled it off uh, really, it, it was uh, as good as I think you can do when you have those circumstances. It's it's hard, as Rhino knows, when you got multiple people even in the studio as part of an interview. It uh, is orders of magnitude more difficult when they're remote at different locations. Yeah, and, it goes from juggling the nice soft hacky sack balls to <laughs> juggling bowling pins that are on fire. Just ratchets up the difficulty. <laughs> but that's why they pay me the big bucks. <laughs> exactly. Well, we appreciate that as we do all those. And I got to tell you, when I go out and do these remotes, I think I did 35 or 6 last year. I got to recount them. I just show up and everything's ready to go. And a whole lot of work has gone into that. Now, once I go on the air, I look at the team that's been involved in that. They're exhausted, of course. And they have earned the right and do they just sit back and watch in case something comes up from a technical perspective, which is pretty rare, honestly. 
But I'm very appreciative for how smooth all that goes and makes my life, my work a lot easier. So my good friend Senator Josh Harkins out in Rankin County just texted and said, add memories to the riches list. Today is my late father's birthday, and memories are worth more than gold. Thank you for that, Senator. Totally agree. Especially around the holidays, those who have lost loved ones, you, you know what that's like. And very few people out there haven't experienced some sort of, of tragedy like that, loss of a loved one. No doubt that uh, is top of mind. And you try to focus on the positive times with those people. You know, I, I have, of course, a long time ago lost my father and my mother and my brother at age 27 in 1976. And, of course, I always think about the great times with them. But, of course, cherish the memories and cherish the times with uh, my immediate family now. And for us around the Gibbard household, um, our late dog, Brute, we certainly miss him. He loved Christmas, and when we had our little Christmas present opening, we, uh, we thought about him, how much he liked to think he was stealing the paper and the boxes and running around, and, and <laughs> as labs do, and rip it into like a gazillion pieces of cardboard. It's kind of in their blood. Uh, but yeah, we certainly missed having him around as well this year. But we're stepping aside for a break. It's time for Super Talk News, Fox News. It is top of the day at the noon hour. And when we come back, it's Richard Cross. He's going to give us a preview of the Ole Miss Texas Tech Tax Act Bowl, which will be played tonight in Houston, Texas. Stay with us. Now. And now, the talk that keeps Mississippi talking. That's what I like to listen to. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Here on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. Middays, back with you. Super Talk Mississippi. We are in the Element Wealth Studios on this final hump day before New Year's. And joining us now is Richard Cross, the host of Sports Talk Mississippi. What's going on there, Richard? You look like you're in a hotel room. I am. They all look the same, right? I mean, it doesn't matter if they're nice or, or they're not nice. They all kind of look the same in the background uh, if you travel, which I am I'm fortunate to do some. You know, it's just another room in another city. But uh, good to be in Houston. I, I largely was able to uh, avoid the travel issues that plagued so much of the country yesterday. A couple of delays, but uh, got in late last night and excited about the Texas Bowl tonight with Ole Miss and Texas Tech. Yeah, and uh, I see you wearing your uh, your master's pullover as well, right? Yeah, yeah. I see yeah. the I see the uh, uh, familiar yeah. master's we'll, we'll logo. We'll be here before we know it, right? Uh, exactly. April will get here before we know it. Can't wait for it. All right, so we got the big game coming up tonight, and uh, that features Texas Tech and Ole Miss in the Tax Act Bowl in Houston. These teams, no strangers to each other, certainly in terms of uh, competing in a bowl game. 
totally different era, different teams, different coaches, but they have a bit of a history. I think I've attended all of them in the past, not going to be able to go this year. How do you see the matchup panning out? You know, it's funny you say that, Gerard. I was I was looking a second ago at the history. So I did not go to the 1986 Independence Bowl. I was, but there. I was there in 98. Uh, I, I was there in the, the 98 Independence Bowl, and I think that was David Cutcliffe's first game as the head coach. You know, he got the job right. and then came in. He was sick leading up to that game and uh, came in. And if I remember correctly, that's the one where Deuce McAllister returned the, uh, the onside kick uh, for, for a nice highlight at the end. He did. I witnessed it, and everybody's go, going, who's this guy? Because he was, I believe, a freshman yeah. at the time, right, playing on special teams. Yeah, he was, and uh, 22 turned out to be a pretty good player when it was all said and done, <laughs> Yeah, uh, Mr. McAllister. You know, though, it's crazy. So I, I was going through that, and I realized, okay, I, I've been to all of the Ole Miss-Texas Tech football games other than that game in 1986, including when Ole Miss made the trip to Lubbock. Uh, that would have been 2002, I think. I did a high school football game on Friday night in Senatobia, and uh, this falls into the young and stupid category. <laughs> my friend Brad and I jumped in the car. We left Senatobia at like 1030 on Friday night, picked up another buddy in Little Rock, drove all night long to go to Lebuk to, uh, to watch that game. Okay. It did not turn out well. It was a long drive, uh, but I was there. I remember that. Yeah, absolutely. So th- these uh, two teams, both, I would say, more offensive-oriented, Texas Tech, right? Uh, runs more plays, yeah. offensive plays, than any other D1 program. Yeah, I think so. And, you know, Joey McGuire, uh, who is the head coach at, at Texas Tech, he's he's kind of an interesting story, right? He was a, a big-time high school football coach in the state of Texas. Uh, he worked on Art Ryle's staff for a while at Baylor. That was a high-flying offense. And they, they do like to get after you offensively. They played three different quarterbacks this year. Tyler Shug was their starter at the beginning <clears> – <throat> excuse me, at the beginning mm-hmm. of the season. He um, – he was the transfer from Oregon and, and played pretty well early, had a collarbone injury, missed five games in the middle of the season. He actually started their last three games, and Texas Tech finished the season on a, on a three-game winning streak, including a, a 51-48 kind of instant classic uh, against Oklahoma. Um, so he's going to be the guy. He's back from injury. The guy that was starting in the middle of the season is out for the bowl game. So it's, okay. it's Tyler Shug's show for them. Uh, offensively. When you compare the two teams, though, I mean, Texas Tech finishes the season on a strong note with some momentum with three straight wins. Ole Miss loses four of their last five, which kind of brings into question motivation, right? I mean, Texas Tech fans are excited to be here. It's not that Lubbock is close to anything, but it is closer to Houston than than Oxford is. Uh, Much of Mississippi is. And and so I expect a big Texas Tech contingent, a a less big Ole Miss contingent in this ballgame, but I think the month to kind of get over the end of the season, and especially the, the last two against Arkansas and Ole Miss, uh, will, will serve the Rebels well. They've, they've taken kind of a, a business-like, workman-like approach to getting ready for this game. Ole Miss has had no opt-outs. Uh, they've gotten some good news in, in recruiting in the transfer portal. And I think the Rebels are going to be ready to go tonight. And not to go like too heavy into the weeds and in, in game plan or whatever, if you look at this Texas Tech defense, they are 89th nationally in rush defense. They're giving up about hmm. 167 yards a game. Hmm. Ole Miss has the best running back duo in all of college football in the, the freshman All-American, Quinshawn Judkins, and, and, of course, Zach Evans, who is a former five-star coming out of high school and is back in his hometown of Houston 
So I would imagine that he would be excited for uh, for this opportunity tonight. Perhaps no image has been uh, has crossed my social media feed with more frequency than that of the photo of the Ole Miss helmet that is going to be worn yeah. tonight, which uh, pays tribute to uh, the late uh, coach Mike Leach. Your your thoughts about that? Yeah, I thought it was a, a nice touch. I mean, clearly there was a um, not just a relationship, but a friendship between Lane Kiffin and Mike Leach, and it goes way back, right? It goes back to their time when, when they were both in the Pac-12. Um, Lane Kiffin had a great deal of respect for Mike Leach, and I, I think that was a two-way street, and and I do think it was a genuine friendship. They, they were both personalities uh, that were, were a little bit different than kind of the status quo in the coaching world. And I think in some ways that kind of drew them to each other. Um, Lane uh, and uh, Keith Carter and a couple of other folks, uh, Monty Kiffin, Lane's dad, uh, went to the uh, memorial service in Starkville at Humphrey Coliseum uh, last week to pay their, uh, their respects to, to kind of offer a tribute to him. And uh, I think you're seeing that with several SEC teams. I, I don't know yeah. if they'll all do that for the bowl game, uh, but it's that Mike sticker that's yeah. going to be on the back of the helmet and the eye is replaced with the cowbell. So, yeah, I think a nice tribute from Ole Miss uh, to uh, to recognize uh, the, the former head coach of the in-state rival. Yeah. yeah. All right. Do you have a prediction for tonight? You know, just based on football alone, I think Ole Miss is a better team. Uh, I, I do think that uh, Ole Miss's ground game uh, poses some serious problems for Texas A&M uh, from both a personnel standpoint and a scheme standpoint. Brian Haydad and I were talking about it uh, either yesterday or, or last week on Sports Talk, and he said, you know, un unless Zach Arnett shows up to coordinate Texas A&M's <laughs> defense and he brings some of those uh, defensive linemen and linebackers that Mississippi State had so much success with in the Egg Bowl, then uh, it's kind of hard to see Texas, a uh, Texas Tech uh, figuring out a way to slow this down. Um, I mean, I think some of the basic stuff uh, has to happen, right? Ole Miss has got to protect the football. Uh, I think they would like to at least somewhat control the clock by being able to uh, to run the game. Uh, you need Jackson Dart to be good. but So, so that's just from the football standpoint. Uh, and again, I, I mean, I think overall Ole Miss is a better football team than uh, than Texas Tech is. Yeah. But you get into the motivation thing for, for a bowl game. Uh, is one team more motivated? Is one team more excited to be there, more interested in being there? We've seen a lot of examples through the years, right? Florida didn't look like they cared about being in Las yeah. Vegas against Oregon wow. State. Wow. Oregon State absolutely cared about playing the Florida Gators and just boat raced them. And they did, um, yeah. Nick Saban's Alabama teams have not had many games where they've laid an egg, but a couple of times they've done that have been in bowl games where they weren't in a playoff. True. And so What's the mindset? Lane Kiffin talks all the time about pro mindset. And if that is to be believed, then Ole Miss is prepared for this in kind of a professional, I use the term workmanlike way a second sure. ago. Sure. Ole Miss shows up and they're ready to go. I, I don't think the crowd being in favor of Texas Tech matters. Uh, I mean, you play in raucous environments in the SEC all the time. Ole Miss got to show up and they got to play well. If they do those two things, I think Ole Miss fans will be happy when it's all said and done. If Ole Miss looks like they don't care, if they look like they don't invest it, it could be a long night for the Rebels. Yeah. Seems like the, that tone, how that tone gets set early on in the game may tell the story, you think? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think so. Uh, you'd like to jump out and have some success early. 
Uh, Ole Miss has been really, really good on opening drives of the game. And they had that stretch up until the last two or three games of the season where it was every single game. It was if, if you win the toss, you take the ball. If you lose the toss, the other team's going to defer, so you get the ball. And it was get the football, scripted plays right down the field, stick it in the end zone. Last couple of games, though, against Arkansas and against Mississippi State, didn't get in the end zone against Arkansas, had to kick a field goal uh, against Mississippi State. I think the Rebels uh, likely will get the football to start the game. That's kind of been the uh, the theme all season long and would love to set the tone with a touchdown on that opening drive. Uh, but, but yeah, I mean, you got to play the whole game, but I, I think getting off to a fast start certainly would be big. Before you go, just about out of time, this NIL stuff is incredible. We've got about 30 seconds. Is there something going on with Ole Miss and Delta Airlines? Uh, it's a, so, so Delta is a corporate partner of wheels up wheels up is the private aviation, you know, on demand aviation, uh, and Ole Miss announced a first of its kind NIL deal with, with wheels up and the Grove collective. Um, there's some charitable stuff in there for, uh, I think it's called meals unlimited where some players are providing meals. And then there's also a a Delta airlines component that will allow some families to be able to fly in to both home games and road games. It's a, it's a brave new world out there. No doubt more to come on that for sure. All right. Well, Richard, good luck with the broadcast tonight, which you can hear right here on super talk, Mississippi. Appreciate it. Good talking to you. See you. Happy new year, my friend. Thank you, my man. Happy new year. You got it. Middays is coming right back. Stay with us. Back to Middays with Gerard here on Super Talk Mississippi. into this segment here. Thank you for that, Rhino. Thomas in Greenwood says, never heard back from our delegates. This would be our Washington delegation on elimination of Amtala. You're not going to. Because nobody's going to get behind that, Thomas. I'm not sure, honestly, that that, that your opinion on that is, is a widely held one. If you're familiar with the the Imtala provision that was it was enacted in 1986 under President Reagan, the Emergency Medical Treatment and Labor Act. It basically assures that the public has access to emergency medical treatment and services, regardless of whether or not they can pay. And I've just pointed out that, and what it requires is any hospital that participates essentially in Medicare which is virtually all of them, except some boutique specialized facilities. But if they operate an ER, they are uh, required to at least perform a medical screening exam, what's called an MSE, the acronym for short, and to stabilize patients that 
present with some sort of urgent emergency medical condition, whether or not they can pay. I've simply pointed out that if you truly want a free market in medicine and health care, essentially forcing providers to deliver care, often knowing they're not going to get paid for it, well, that's really not a free market. And so that that's one of the that's one of the things that runs up the cost to hospitals, especially in our state where we have the highest amount of uninsured care. Uncompensated care, actually, not uninsured, just uncompensated. You could be compensated without insurance. You could just pay for it out of pocket, not claim it on your insurance. That does happen in some cases. But uncompensated care is really where the issue is. So that's embedded in law. And the only way to change that is with 60 votes in the Senate. And so, and of course, you'd have to have the House as well vote for it uh, on a simple majority. But in the Senate, it, this would be subject to the present filibuster rules, which means you've got to have 60 votes to proceed and uh, essentially vote for cloture on a measure, which uh, sets it up for a vote in the chamber. So, Thomas, once we explained that on the air a few months ago, I mean, I'll give it to you, Thomas. Once you understood it, you saw fit to request that our delegation, I guess, to draft a measure to eliminate and reverse this EMTALA law, which was it's the Emergency Medical Treatment and Labor Act, is the formal name of the, the bill that was enacted in 1986. So it's been around for 36 years. And if you if you talk to any healthcare professionals, especially those involved in the financial aspect of a healthcare institution, they'll frequently invoke the term, the acronym in their discussions because it's a big part of running a hospital. And if you don't adhere to it, the federal government retains the right to essentially ban you from Medicare participation, which would be a revenue killer uh, to hospitals. So they're not going to do it. They're, of course, going to adhere to it. But I don't think you're going to hear back from our delegation. It's just a hunch, Thomas. I don't think anybody is going to say, yeah, I'm ready to draft a bill right now to overturn Mtala. Wow. Can you imagine how the Democrats would use that to their benefit? Republicans want to kill people. They don't want to give medical treatment because somebody can't pay. It's, it's a tough one. There's no doubt about it. We've got to seek solutions to this. It, it, it is absolutely true. There's some people in this country simply cannot pay for health care that they need to live. Could be a life-or-death situation. How we got there is a long, drawn-out, complicated discussion. How we address that issue, I think, should be front and center. And something we need to to discuss and put on the table. He says, uh, does Thomas, well, 68 Republicans voted for the omnibus, so anything is possible. Well, them Tala 
How can you make a Mississippi hospital feasible? 68 Republicans? 50 in the House? I don't think it was 50, because it was 18 in the Senate. How many in the House? Right? Are you looking that up? I know there were some, but I don't think it was 50. It would have had to be 50 to equal 68, given there are 18 in the Senate. Hmm. Dan in Hannesburg says, I'm glad they didn't sign a deal with Southwest Airlines talking about the, <laughs> the, uh, uh, the NIL deal that the Grove Collective has apparently consummated with Delta Airlines. Yeah, Southwest ain't looking too good. What was it, 2,500 flights canceled just today? Today. And you've seen... That's insane. Yeah, and you've seen the uh, the grievances and the complaints expressed, concerns expressed by representative workers from both the pilot side and the flight attendant side. There may be also ground crew as well. I haven't seen that, but and we touched on it a bit yesterday. It's something that I certainly had some first-hand exposure to, given that Delta was our largest commercial customer when we sold the company. And I can tell you, five years ago, my team, who was familiar with the Delta technical environment, their IT environment, which is world-class, maybe the best in the industry, were also familiar with Southwest. And uh, because they were looking to penetrate the account and to offer our solutions to the account, capitalizing on the work we had done for Delta, which was a fantastic customer and a great reference for our company, and still a customer of the, my company, which, of course, we sold. But even the Delta folks, would well, they were aware. I mean, they're all aware the, at the IT level. They know what all the other companies in the industry, what their environments look like from a technology perspective. And even they would shake their head when you talk about Southwest, and you could just see that, yeah, one day it's going to catch up. And it did, and it has. It was really their, their failure to invest in IT infrastructure, application software, to modernize those environments and, and automate such that they could accommodate anomalies and exceptions, which is exactly what they're dealing with today. S certainly, it's true those were caused by weather, but efficient, agile, flexible, effective systems are built around all the contingencies, all the possible exceptions that occur. If they're not, they're really of limited value. And there's failure in the design of those systems. In Southwest's case, what's coming to light is that they just would not spend any money. They really didn't want to continuously invest in those systems. And now, coming home to roost, as they say, and it's catching up with them because they have encountered all of the anomalies and exceptions compressed into a short period of time from a routing perspective, scheduling perspective, staffing perspective, baggage handling perspective, all the complexities that systems support and operational functions that systems support to operate an airline. Now it ain't working too good for them. So it'd be different if every other airline 
we're experiencing the same level of cancellations and delays, but they're not. I think they maybe exceed the whole rest of the industry, if I'm not mistaken. I mean, 2,500 today. Yeah, I don't think they had quite crossed that threshold by yesterday, but by tacking on an extra 2,500, yeah, I'm pretty sure you're safe to say that they've got more cancellations than everybody else combined. It's been four figures a day, is it not? For about a week, where everybody else has been in the singular double digits. So this is, honestly, it's exposing what you just have to call bad decision-making, mismanagement. So now you got... The actual number on the vote, there were nine Republicans in the House that voted for the omnibus and 18 in the Senate that voted for the omnibus. So 27. I'm not sure where you got seat. That sounds right. There were 68 total votes in the Senate that were yays. Okay, got you. Got you. Well, that's different. Coming right back. It's not 68 Republicans. Stay with us. You're listening to Middays with Gerard. Gerard Gibbert, here on Super Talk Mississippi. Back with you on Midday Super Talk Mississippi in the Element Well Studios. This would be my final broadcast for 2022. Uh, tomorrow, Russ Latino filling in here on Middays. Back in the Element Wealth Studios on Monday. Well, it'll be your, li- your final live broadcast, but uh, the listeners will still be able to hear your voice That's on right. Friday. That's right. With the best of. Oh, yeah. Yep. Appreciate that. Uh, small correction there. So, most on the ceasefire tax line. So, Gerard, you're saying Southwest is being run like Jackson's water system. Yeah, kind of, sort of. Uh, but I bet they ain't getting no $100 million bailout. I certainly hope not. I would oppose that as vigorously as I oppose this $600 million going to the city of Jackson. Well, here's a perfect example, a, a case study, if you will, of the market in action, because their stock price isn't looking great. And their reputation, while not being the best before this, is certainly tarnished by this. And anyone who has paid attention to the last week of Southwest Airlines is going to think twice before budgeting and buying a ticket for Southwest Airlines. It's very true. What What is a little ironic when I think about this, having been a, pi- a private pilot, which isn't anything like flying a commercial jet, although there's a lot of the concepts, of course, that are the same. It's the systems that are different, right? But there's a lot of the training and learning how to fly an airplane is similar, and all these pilots started at the same level that that I did. You don't just show up and start flying 737s day one. But where I'm going with this is most of flight training, and folks out there that have been through this, I think they would largely agree with me here, it's learning how to deal with stuff you hope never happens. Flying an airplane is not that hard. Taking off an airplane, flying around, 
following routes and instructions and guidance systems and all that sort of navigational aids, as they call them. That ain't that hard. And all the communication, there is a, a fair amount of work in understanding the language and the protocol in air traffic control communications. But none of that compares to the amount of time you spend practicing, preparing, and understanding how to respond to stuff you don't ever want to happen, like the engine goes out, fire on board, out of gas, stuff like that, right? Some sort of equipment failure. But think about how they ran the back office aspect of the company. Did not plan for those contingencies, for all those situations. You hope never happens. That's what we do when we design these sophisticated IT systems. We spend more time trying to account for stuff we don't ever want to happen. If you truly want resilient systems and functional systems, same concept applies as it does to learning how to fly and pilot an airplane. I hope this never happens, but in case it does, I'm ready for it. I got a protocol. I got a, a checklist. Of course, flying airplanes very checklist-oriented. Same is largely true when you build these IT systems. But they didn't apply that same principle in this case. Sure seems like it. I, I hate to see it, honestly. And I hope they get it fixed. And it does appear that the CEO and Pete Buttigieg are actually having a dialogue, like a regular dialogue, uh, about their predicament. Why did it have to be Pete Buttigieg when this stuff is happening? I'm serious. Why did it have to be Because he him? likes trains. Oh, gosh. How much of that $600 million do you think is actually going to Jackson Water? I honestly don't know. I, they're just, there's a shortage of details. I don't see a lot of detail. I think it's just, hurry up, $600 million, stick it in there, sign here, pass it, get on the airplane, and go home. Right? That's kind of the way they run Washington. Yeah, a budget that was supposed to be done in September gets pushed to the last possible minute so that they can force all the pork in and hold feet to the fire for chairmanships and committee positions. Exactly what it is. Blame it on the weather. No, you didn't You didn't have to wait this late. Mm. So Schumer was imploring, we got to get this done, got to go home. And he wasn't the only one. So was McConnell. And then he takes victory laps. We got everything we wanted here. It's a victory. Oh, my gosh. How can you celebrate a $1.2 trillion deficit? How can you celebrate that? How can you, with a straight face, be happy about that? There's nothing innovative, nothing creative, nothing noble, nothing virtuous about just stuffing pork in a bill that you don't have money to pay for. There's just no, there's nothing positive about that. But yet, we'll keep reelecting these same people because they bring home the bacon, baby. Unbelievable. I heard a rep from Iowa, a female, her name escapes me right now, I saw her on an interview early this morning talking about Wokeness in the military, something we've been discussing today, and she's all over it. She's calling it out. She opposes it. She thinks it's detrimental to the mission of the Department of Defense. I'm with her. I agree. But then she starts talking about 
literally the money she's bringing home to Iowa. Well, the Democrats are doing it, so I'm jumping in, too, to make sure I get our fair share. That's what people expect. Does that not exactly illustrate what we've been talking about here? You got 435 in the House and 100 in the Senate, and they're all vying for the same, same goal. Bring that money home, and then we'll reelect them. Oh, yeah, we're reelecting that person. They got us this, 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 this. Pay no attention to that 8% inflation, $4 gas, $31 trillion of debt. It's just incredible. It's as if we reward bad behavior, which we do. If you went up there and said, you know what, enough. We can't do this. Well, then, perhaps your constituents would say, well, you didn't go up there and fight for us. That's really where we are. It's upside down. It's perverted. Honestly. Mm-mm-mm. Paul and Hernando asks, what was Roger Wicker's excuse? We actually, you may not have caught it, Paul, but we actually did discuss his official press release. He basically said that he thought the military was at risk by operating under a continuing resolution level of funding and that we needed to get this bill passed, which which does increase military funding by virtually, I think it's close to $90 billion. And that, that was necessary uh, for military readiness. And on, on that basis, he, he cast his vote in favor of it, plus the $600 million going to the uh, city of Jackson. Those are the only two issues I could find, Rhino, in the press release that he referenced. You may have seen something different. That's all I saw that he talked about. So it's just uh, I, seems like that's how we how we roll now in Washington. You're you're sent there to bring money home. Whoever says they're going to bring the most home, that's who I'm voting for. Times 435 in the House and 100 in the Senate, and that's how you end up with a predicament we we have before us today. 31 trillion in debt, 1.2 trillion dollar deficits. Never say no. Never consider. Revenue coming in. You should also know there was some key provisions in the omnibus bill that might affect your retirement and your 401k plan. In fact, there's a bill called the Secure Act 2.0. It was included in this bill, which it really shouldn't be. This is another situation. Why are we dumping this? Why are we cramming this in the government funding bill? Because these are provisions that just really change the way 401k and retirement plans are handled. Uh, it's, it's no place for it, in my view. The provisions aren't that bad, honestly. I think some would see them as positive, but the catch-up rules, which allow you to catch up your 401k accounts if you just fail to contribute to them for a period of time, the limitations on that have increased, and beginning in January in 2025, individuals age 60 through 63 will be allowed to make catch-up contributions in their plans. In the, the workplace offers up to $10,000 or 150% of the regular contribution, whichever is greater, and that'll be indexed to inflation. It also, I'm not sure I like this, requires automatic enrollment in 401k plans. You can opt out, but your employer is going to automatically enroll you. If you don't want to be in, then you have to opt out. Not a big deal, but not sure I totally agree with that. 
And somehow it's thought that, well, if we automatically enroll people, they're more likely to enroll. They wouldn't do it on their own accord, you know, on their own volition. It seems a little weird to me. And uh, the IRA catch-up amount actually could escalate from year to year. And you could also direct your matching contributions to a Roth account as opposed to a standard 401k account. Roth accounts are, are after-tax but tax-free on withdrawal, 401k standard, or just the opposite. Coming right back with the final segment on Middays today. Stay with us. Mississippi. To Middays with Gerard, here on Super Talk Mississippi. Back with you on Midday's final segment on this. Hump day. Russ Latino in the chair tomorrow, the best of on Friday. And then we're back in the Element Wealth Studios on Monday, getting all set and ready for the legislature to convene. They're rolling into Jackson. Not sure if they're going to have running water and bathrooms, however. Not sure about that. Jeff in Forest County says, how do you think we got Ingle Shipbuilding for Mississippi? Instead of South Carolina, it was horse trading. Comparing the negotiation, if you will, on the location of a shipbuilding facility to signing on to a massive amount of pork and a spending bill that's $200 billion more than the prior year, which includes $90 billion more for defense, I think it's an apples and oranges comparison. I, I, I get there may be some horse trading on location of uh, appropriately funded investments, such as shipbuilding facilities, but when you start looking at just signing off on every single time on significant increases in spending, both domestic non-military spending in this these uh, discretionary spending bills, and doing that without following regular order just so that you can get your pet projects in there and get an increase of the Republicans in military spending so the Democrats can get their holy grail of programs. No, I'm not buying that. This is not the same. This is way beyond just so-called horse trading when I, uh, senators may be working with each other on the location of facilities that are going to get funded anyhow, that are just part of just normal course of operating the government. That This isn't that, in my view. This is just not the same. This is a completely separate issue. You're not, I mean, if you're horse trading that, hey, we're going to get more money for, for um, military aircraft, I'll give you a few million for an LGBTQIA museum. No, that's not horse trading. I don't see that. And again, Rhino, it really comes down to this. What is the proper, appropriate role of government? When do we ever have that discussion? Looks to me like there's clearly no consensus on it. 
But more importantly, we don't even talk about it anymore. Just like the discussion we've had about the military. What's the proper role of the military? Is it to, to um, shove all this CRT and diversity, equity, and inclusion narrative and force members of our armed forces to participate in all these various exercises and seminars and modules and training sessions, as they call them, to appreciate just how systemically racist the country is? That doesn't make any sense to me as a, as a goal for our military. Hmm. Also, Jerry in Waynesboro sent something about Social Security, and I, I read the article, uh, Jerry, and honestly, it's wrong. It's, it's basically the article that, that Jerry said says Social Security benefit cuts of 23% are coming. That would be if Social Security ran out of money. Yeah, and, and it's headed in that direction. And this would be, by the way, in 2033. And the CBO basically published a report not so long ago where they sort of pulled forward the time at which the Social Security Trust Fund runs out of money. We've talked about that exhaustively on this program. No, nobody talks about it in Congress. The couple that do just get excoriated that they even bring it up. And then Joe Biden runs around, as do the Democrat candidates. The Republicans want to take away your Social Security and Medicare rather than telling the truth, which is, no, somebody finally had the spine to speak up and say, hey, this thing's going broke. we got to do something. And it's real simple. You either got to have more coming in or less going out, or a combination of the two. And nobody wants to talk about it. Just keep kicking that can down the road. What this article does, that Jerry sent, what it does point out is that by, and, and it is true, by passing this $1.7 trillion omnibus bill, I do believe that that exacerbates inflation, that it fuels it. And when you're fueling inflation, you're obviously making your future Social Security benefits worth less, which then triggers the Social Security cost of living increases, which just adds to the debt and the deficit. What a never-ending dumb spiral it is when you think about it. But we're out of time here for, uh, for today. We appreciate you joining us so much, and I appreciate you guys for being part of our audience and making the year the successful one that I hope you think it was. Our last broadcast, certainly for me, live today, back in the chair on Monday, as we've said, Russ Latino in tomorrow, guest hosting Best of Middays on Friday. Once again, thanks a lot. Stay safe. Have a happy, healthy, prosperous New Year, everyone. God bless. Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.